Welcome to the SIFMA podcast. I'm Amina Ross, Managing Director of Advocacy at SIFMA and host of our Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion podcast series. Recently, SIFMA hosted our Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Leadership Summit. We brought together hundreds of business executives from across the financial industry who shared a common and genuine goal to broadly understand how, as leaders at their organizations, they can foster a culture of diversity, equity, and inclusion to the benefit of their employees and their clients. Our conversations were powerful and wide-ranging. In a safe forum for tough questions, we heard from regulators, policymakers, chief economists, and industry leaders about best practices and innovative solutions that are having a real impact on the industry and the communities we serve. Today, we are pleased to share one of those conversations. Rudy Rodriguez, Vice President of Diversity and Inclusion at Ameriprise and Chair of SIFMA's Diversity and Inclusion Council, hosted a fireside chat with two leading female executives, Penny Pennington, Managing Partner of Edward Jones, and Suzanne Shank, President and CEO of Siebert Williams Shank and Company. As Managing Partner, the six in Edward Jones's 97-year history. Penny is responsible for the firm's strategic direction, working together with the more than 43,000 associates across the US and Canada who make a meaningful difference in the lives of more than 7 million clients by helping them financially achieve their most important goals. A 30-year veteran of the financial services industry, Suzanne has positioned her firm to hold the distinction of being the top-ranked minority and women-owned investment banking firm in the country. Now, I invite you to sit back, listen, and find out how these industry leaders set and reach their diversity goals while modeling a culture of inclusion from the C-suite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a conversation with managing partner of Edward Jones, Penny Pennington, and the president and CEO of Siebert Williams and Shank Company, Suzanne Shank, and myself, vice president of diversity inclusion at Ameriprise, Rudy Rodriguez. Thank you all for joining us, and thank you to our sponsors for their support of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Leadership Summit. You know, I'm really excited about our conversation today. Building a diverse and inclusive work workplace requires a strong leadership commitment. Our fireside chat today with two leading executives in the industry is going to focus on, you know, why diversity and inclusion are important for our companies uh, and how they model a culture of inclusion from the C-suite and how leaders can set and reach their diversity goals. So I'm really excited to, uh, to hear their remarks and comments. But first, let's do introductions. Uh, I'll kick us off and invite Penny and Suzanne to tell us a little bit about themselves so, you know, we can get to know each other a little bit better. So uh, again, I'll start. Rudy Rodriguez, my pronouns are he, him, and his, and I'm passionate about diversity and inclusion. Uh, I'm the son of Mexican immigrants, and through that experience, I have a strong cultural curiosity and that I like to explore in work and in the community. I'm proud to lead the diversity efforts at Ameriprise and also engaged as a board chair for the Immigrant Law Center of Minnesota. Uh, I'm on the board of trustees for Minnesota State Colleges and Universities, where I chair the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. And lastly, and, and not least, I'm really happy to you know, partner with my SIFMA colleagues to advance our DNI efforts for the financial services industry. Penny, uh, I'll hand it over to you. 
Rudy, thank you. Hi, everybody. It's great to be with you. I'm Penny Pennington. I'm the managing partner of Edward Jones. We're a private partnership, and so managing partner equates to CEO. Uh, I'm the sixth managing partner of our firm in 100 years. We celebrate our 100th anniversary next January. We're about the largest uh, wealth management financial services firm in, our, in the industry in terms of number of financial advisors, almost 20,000 financial advisors serving in the United States and Canada across 15,000 branches, about a trillion six in assets under care. We're privileged to serve 7 million clients. Little fun fact, and we, th this might interweave with some of the conversation later, uh, later in our time together. We have a brick and mortar location in 68% of the counties in the United States and all 10 provinces in Canada. We have a, uh, a client in every county, but one in the United States. And so what does that mean for this conversation? Uh, it means that, that we are in community with every part of our two countries and living and working and serving beside uh, more people in more communities is how we characterize the growth and the impact that we would like to have on lives and communities. It's great to be here with you all. Thank you, Penny. Suzanne, how about you? Hi, I'm Suzanne Shank, and I'm a co-founder, president, and CEO of Siebert Williams Shank. This is the third iteration of our firm. I've had different partners throughout the years. I'm, I've been the one constant. Uh, we were founded in 1996. Um, very proud of what the firm has accomplished over the years in terms of growth. We've grown from a muni bond shop to one that is now actively engaged in the taxable and tax exempt markets, both primary and secondary, uh, the equity markets, underwriting and share repurchase activities. We have a strategic advisory group. Um, we are the top ranked minority and woman owned firm in both the corporate space and the municipal space. And um, we also have a wholly owned investment advisory platform. We recently formed um, Clear Vision Impact Fund, which I hope to speak further about. Um, I'm from the South. My um, birth certificate identifies my father as Negro laborer. I have been on the DNI journey my entire career. And so I'm very pleased to be here today. Thank you so much, Suzanne. Thanks to both of you for those great introductions. Clearly you know, some great uh, uh, stories that we can hear about your experiences of your work in the community uh, and at your firms. Um, so I'll start out with this first question. You know, the issues around diversity, equity, inclusions have been important for a long time, but recently they've really become even more front and center for every organization. What commitments have your firms made to diversity, inclusion, and equity? Suzanne, let's start with you. Well, you know, I think um, given our history, our long history of being my, both minority owned and majority women owned um, and being certified as such, uh, the DE&I commitment has really been in our D DNA, so to speak. Um, as you can imagine, it's not just a best practices chapter in a company handbook. We have a very diverse workforce, 57% people of color, 32% women, um, and I would say 100% working to better our communities. Um, with this diverse footprint as a foundation, we're constantly still striving to do better though. And I would say that we try to do that with 
through various programs um, to create professional opportunities for women and minorities. And these may include internships, involvement in mentorship, written procurement policies to foster relationships and procurement with other minority women-owned and veteran firms, as well as diversity policies for hiring within the firm. So we really haven't had a shift in focus um, as opposed to really doubling down on our efforts. Now, of course, given the events of last year, we did some extra things. Um, we um, initiated giving to certain organizations that we thought were directly addressing some of the racial justice in initiatives and matching our own employee um, giving to those organizations. But just as an example of our commitment, we've had um, three build outs of our New York office space. And we have committed in each of those over the years to uh, have majority minority um, construction firms, architects and engineers, you know, do the work on behalf of our firm. So it really translates through everything we do, through, whether it's, you know, IT law firms we hire, et cetera. So we, this has been front and center for our firm since our inception. Thank you, Suzanne. Penny, how about you? What kind of commitments have your firm made to diversity, equity, and inclusion? Yeah, Suzanne, I love what you just said about DEI and the DNA. And um, I, what, what I would share really um, sort of uses that as a springboard. Our commitment to diversity, equity, inclusion, to being a place of belonging is not new. And there has been a renewal of it in the past year or two years. It's not new. We've been, we've been working toward making our firm and our, and our representation in communities where we serve more gender balanced more balanced toward uh, to, to racial and, and, and experience groups, just people coming from different walks of life who can even more relate with clients and prospective clients who are looking for a deep trusted relationship with a guide to stand beside them, walk beside them during their lifetime. So we've, uh, th this is not a new commitment, but the renewal of that commitment came very much as a result of what we all experienced together last year, the last 15 months that I've called a triple pandemic, a pandemic of a health crisis, an economic crisis, and a social crisis. And someone said to me, I said, I said one time on a, on a listening post, I said, you know, we're all in the same, the same storm. And she said, Penny, we're, we're all in the same storm, but each of us is in a little bit different boat. And so what, what the last 15 months has galvanized for us is the value of having so many more experiences and perspectives at the table to make good decisions, to recognize as empathetic leaders what it takes to bring a team together and what it takes to build trust with a client when, when they're going through a storm in the boat that they're going through it with their families and when our communities are going through different storms. So the renewed commitment that we made last year included things like a very public five point commitment to diversity, equity and inclusion in our organization for our talent and in our communities. Um, it included a, uh, a commitment to talking 
to courageous conversations. It included a commitment to pay parity, included a commitment to, um, to reassessing our personnel policies, our hiring, training, and development. And Suzanne, just as you mentioned, uh, a renewal of commitment to giving in our communities to organizations that are important to our clients and our associates. Um, places like the Urban League nationally and here in St. Louis, our hometown, which has the largest and one of the oldest urban leagues in the country. The, the renewal of that commitment also though extended to what's the definition of good leadership and empathetic leadership, recognizing um, the skill and the capacity to have conversations with our teams, with our clients and our prospective clients about the boats that they're in so that we can create this place where everyone can bring themselves fully, authentically, completely, um, good days and bad days um, to the job that we have to do, our purpose, which is to make a meaningful impact in the lives of our clients and our colleagues. So not new, but the renewal has added a, a, a new energy and enthusiasm and forward progress to this pursuit. Thank you, Penny. Um, I appreciate the perspective on renewal. Um, and certainly, you know, um, we've all been focused on and, it, you know, things have changed quite a bit. Um, but I want to take us back a little bit um, in the perspective of how have you seen the diversity in the industry evolve, um, as well as, you know, um, you know, you know, how our firms work to address it and the change that you've seen in the course of your career. What, advi what advice would you give to others given all that change? So certainly we've, a lot's been happening, you know, over the past year or so, and we've always had that commitment, but how, is, how have things changed over the course of your career? What insights do you have there? Penny, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, no, that's no, really no worries, I'll kick off there. Um, well, and, and I'm so interested to hear what Suzanne has to say about this as well. I, I started in financial services and banking in 1985. Um, so been in, in, in an industry for a number of years where there hasn't been as much gender balance and certainly not, not ethnic or racial balance. And so have been part of that hunt, part of that, you know, part of that cohort for my entire career. It's interesting if you just trace the language that we use around it. You know, I remember when we simply talked about diversity and then we started talking about inclusion. Diversity isn't enough. Feeling included, knowing that one is included is, is critically important. And only in the past few years have, has it become more commonplace to recognize the difference between equality and equity. And now what we're, what we're talking about as a firm, and, and it's not just us, I, I hear this throughout our industry and, and in business in general, is creating a place of belonging where people know that this, this is the place they should bring their full professional and personal capabilities um, in order to fulfill their own personal purpose and our purpose as a firm. I have a, a, a former colleague, Emily Pitts, who some people in the audience may know. And she described diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging this way. She, she said, diversity is about being asked to the party. Inclusion is about being asked to dance. Equity is you get to help pick the music. And belonging is 
you get to help determine what kind of party we're having. And just the arc of, of that acumen, that, that, uh, that facility with the language and what it means has pointed us in the direction of much more authentic um, and, and capable pursuit of becoming more gender balanced, more racial and ethnic balanced. Now, we still have a long way to go. Boy, isn't that a common refrain? How many times do we say it? We still have a long way to go. But what I'm excited about is this sense of renewal uh, about, about that pursuit and the, the, the imperative of achieving more balance in, uh, in all of those respects. Yeah, thank you, Penny. I appreciate the the um, the you know how you define diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging because I think that's a best practice um, for firms is because employees want to know what that means, and I really love that word belonging. We use it at Ameriprise too because it's that feeling that you get uh, when you know that inclusion is happening. So so thank you for that, Suzanne. How about you? Over the course of your career, what what strikes you the most is the biggest differences between you were, while you were rising in the industry and and today. Yeah, I I started in the business just a couple of years after Penny, um, 1987, and um, you know began to explore um, what is the history of you know diversity on Wall Street, and I read a book by Gregory Bell, whose father. Uh, actually had the first black owned member firm of the New York Stock Exchange. Um, and it was quite interesting because it pointed out that many blacks on Wall Street got their start in the public finance space because there were urban centers where local ele elected officials were more sensitive to inclusion. Um, and so we began to see more minorities both in at bulge bracket firms and having their own firms in that sector. Um, and then we began to see that spread into other sectors. We saw many people leave public finance and go into corporates or asset management and others started their own firms. But I, you know, in the years after the financial crisis, I actually felt that we went backward. When many firms were laying off, I felt that many women and minorities were, you know, the firings or you know layoffs were in higher percentages among minorities and women um, so you know having observed that and seeing where we are today after 33 years of being in the business I am encouraged that this discussion is really front and center and something that every corporation I don't know one that I've spoken to of late and I'm sure Penny would say the same that is not focused on diversity equity and inclusion. What's troubling about it for the financial services space is that the hiring at entry level positions is actually not that bad. Um, I've looked at studies by McKinsey and Lean In and it shows that women and people of color are being hired at you know, pretty good percentages, almost 50-50 in the financial services space, but that movement up the corporate ladder is stifled such that women and especially women of color are underrepresented in the leadership of financial services firms. Um, I was thrilled to be on this panel with Penny given her role, um, you know, and given, you know, the CEO of Citigroup now being a woman. I mean, I, I am thrilled for every one position we get, but this is an area we're gonna have to continue to be very intentional about. And what that means is the industry is going to have to look at pipeline of talent 
make dramatic change if we don't see diverse candidates in that pipeline. We're going to have to do a better job of ensuring bias and preconceived perceptions are not playing a role in advancement decisions. And it means sponsoring diverse candidates as they move up the corporate ladder. Every opportunity I had for advancement, and I'm sure Penny would say the same, was the result of mentorship or sponsorship by a wide variety of individuals, both black, white, male, and female. So it should really be viewed as a responsibility and a journey for all. Great, thank you. You know, and so you clearly have a, a vision for how to drive this, but you know, as, um, and we know that commitment for diversity, equity, inclusion starts at the top. Suzanne, how do you take that passion and set the tone for inclusion in your own firm and how you demonstrate that commitment both internally and externally? Like how, what advice would you give to other leaders in, in, in your shoes? Well, we have to keep the discussion at the front of every hiring decision. Um, you know, if I look at an area and I don't see, you know, I mean, we're, we're just so diverse. Um, one of my partners says, we look like the fabric of America because, you know, we, I think we have every racial group <laughs> represented, you know, within the firm. And we're thrilled about that. We're proud about that. And we do feel it's a family. Obviously, we're a much smaller shop uh, than what Penny is running. Um, but we're in 19 offices across the country. We're really spread out. Um, we're working in many different centers. We give back in those centers. Um, you know, I tell my team that I hope we are the firm that can give the first exposure and first opportunity to the financial services space. You know, I didn't grow up, my mom was a teacher and my dad um, was initially a bus driver. You know, they both progressed in their career to have management positions, but I didn't know anything about Wall Street almost until I went to Wharton Business School. That's really a shame. And I think many young people of color are in that same boat. And it's for that reason that, you know, I've started internship programs. I've started mentor mentorship programs to give kids early access to those opportunities, you know, as early as high school, that is not too early to, you know, really give a look-see. And I'm just always proud, and I think our team is proud, when we give those opportunities for students in college after their freshman year, which is so difficult to get. And then we see them go off. Um, we don't do a very good job of keeping track and getting them back after we help get them trained. But we know they're all over Wall Street because they got that first foot in the door. And, you know, that's all that's needed because the talent is there. It's just that the opportunity is not. Thank you. Penny, how about you? How have you set the tone at your firm? Um, Ray, I'm going to I'm going to um, amplify something that Suzanne just mentioned, and that is um, just understanding that this industry is there for people. As clients in, in our business to, to get financial advice, we know that, um, that folks who are advised have on average 25% more assets than folks who don't have a guide. I was a financial advisor for six years in Michigan before coming into, into our home office location. And if I had a nickel for every time one of my clients said either, I wish I had understood these things sooner in my life, or could you talk to my kids? 
let, let, let's get them started right now. And so th this idea that helping people understand, helping a wider group of talented folks with, as Suzanne said, all the gifts, skills, and, and competencies in the world, understand what this industry is and that it is a helpmate um, in our society. It makes our society better to, to help more people have, have more options. Now, to your specific question about a leader's role then and, and how I see my role in the pursuit of, of a more diverse, equitable, inclusive, and place of belonging kind of culture. Someone said to me a couple of years ago that that pursuit has got to be personal, interpersonal, and structural. And so I really think of the, my own portfolio of activities, my calendar, the things that I'm committed to, the places that people see me show up uh, personally. Am I learning? What am I reading? What am I seeking to understand that I didn't understand before uh, uh, about, about my experiences versus other people's experiences? That's, that's, a, that's a personal and reflective stance. The interpersonal part is being in conversation, in relationship with people in my firm, uh, people in my community. We're here in St. Louis and there is a very active conversation in our community about greater racial equity and equitable economic growth and development. I'm learning and frankly, I'm being mentored by community participants so that so that I know more about that opportunity and necessity. And then our great privilege as leaders is that we have a tremendous opportunity to impact the structural aspects of ensuring that our organizations are more diverse, equitable, and inclusive. Those could be compensation initiatives, they could be hiring policies, they could be uh, our, our, what we call our business resource groups, the affinity groups and the, the prevalence of those groups and how vibrant and robust they are, how we reward and set expectations for the leaders who are responsible to us. So I, I see that as a portfolio of opportunity for leaders to really affect change, but it's got to start with, with us individually as well, personal, interpersonal, and structural. I love that framework. I'm going to borrow that, Penny, uh, for sure. Good uh, personal, I, interpersonal. I stole but... it. You'd steal it too, really. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, and, and you also, both of you commented on something that resonates with me too, um, just about how often we hear about many people in underserved communities and from my experience in the Latino community, not knowing about careers and financial services, which gets me to the next point, um, you know, how our firms can serve a more diverse client base. And so there's ongoing conversations that we're all familiar with about the, the, the gap in wealth, um, investing in home ownership gaps. And, and also, you know, we talked, you talked about the triple pandemic and the impact of the pandemic on particularly on communities of color. These issues are all at the forefront. What, what can our firms do to serve more diverse clients, uh, whether they be individual clients, small businesses, or underserved communities more broadly? Uh, Penny, um, what, what's your firm doing in that space? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll go back to something I mentioned before, and that's the, the number of people that we talk to that say, I wish I'd known about these concepts earlier in my life, to, to have a guide to help me 
um, develop opportunities or, or optionality in my life that I didn't know were there. And, and this would be for talented folks who come to work for Edward Jones, but, but our client base as well. Um, one thing that is, that is critically important is financial literacy. Suzanne, you said it just a few minutes ago, high school is not too early to start, right on. In fact, that, that, that is the place to start, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we, we have a financial literacy program that we renewed last year. We're in 140 schools right now. We've, we've served 4,000 students. By the end of the year, we'll be in 575 schools serving 20,000 students. We've had 210,000 folks come onto our website to access these financial literacy tools. So just, just the basics of saving, spending, borrowing, investing, creating options in one's life through, a, through, through um, the beginnings of a financial plan are, are so important to it. Um, helping act as that guide. Um, one of the things that, that really disappoints me about our industry is that um, maybe we haven't done a very good job of creating a place of belonging for potential clients because we, we say the word wealth management and people say, well, I'm not wealthy, so maybe that doesn't apply to me. People don't think they deserve or could afford or will understand. They're intimidated by the words, the jargon, walking into a, walking into a building to, to meet with a financial advisor. We have got to do a better job of breaking down those barriers. I got a call from a financial advisor the other day. He said, Penny, I just got to tell you the story. Um, I, I, I work with, a, with an individual who works in transportation. Um, he's never made more than about $50,000 a year in his entire life. And I just got to call him and uh, congratulate him on crossing that sort of arbitrary number of a million dollars in his retirement account. Um, helping people recognize that, that steady, thoughtful planning with, with, a, with a guide can keep them on track, get them back on track. Suzanne, you mentioned that um, that what's happened in the past 15 months has had a disproportionate in impact on women, on people of color, and people who might have had the beginnings of a plan, that plan might have gotten derailed the past year. And so helping people get back on track, um, raising their confidence about the, the options they have for their future. That's the role of financial advice of a financial advisor. Great. Thank you, Penny. Suzanne, how about you? How are, how are you thinking about serving underserved uh, communities or clients? Well, our firm is um, all institutionally focused. We don't uh, deal with retail clients, but we have several minority-owned asset managers to whom we sell, you know, our transactions to and give access to, you know, hot IPOs and other transactions in which we participate um, but another area that we really are excited about, we announced last year in August with the support of Microsoft that we were going to form the Clear Vision Impact Fund. And um, we started with 25 million investment from Microsoft. We have now raised and closed on the first round of over 110 million from also Apple, Comcast, Constellation Brands and eBay, such that um, Chris Williams and I are general partners and our limited partners are these stellar corporations who have their own DE&I initiatives. But we are investing in minority-owned businesses that operate 
in underserved communities. Um, lack of cash flow or capital has been cited as one of the most significant challenges for minority entrepreneurs. And when we think about, as Penny mentioned, wealth and generating wealth among minority communities, you know, ownership is really important for many. And the data shows that minority-owned firms face lending discrimination and that, you know, head-to-head, you know, Black and Latinos, you know, have to give more information than their white counterparts when they're trying to get a loan. And so we formed this fund that will be, it's a debt fund because we didn't want to take equity away from minority owners, um, focusing more on Black and Latinos um, in underserved communities or those that will employ uh, many minorities in underserved communities and provide um, mentorship to these companies. Chris and I are both entrepreneurs. These companies want to provide mentorship and connectivity. Some of them may need vendors um, that they can't find. They're looking to increase their minority-owned firms with whom they contract. And so we're really excited about making this connectivity um, between them, the corporations, and giving access to capital that they might not otherwise have. So we're plotting forward towards uh, raising the next round and getting to the next close and are actively working on some very exciting um, transactions. Uh, we have term sheets out with several minority entrepreneurs that we hope to announce soon. Great, thank you, Suzanne. That's a great example. Um, you know. You've talked about a lot of the great initiatives that you have in place, but what's what are some of the challenges you face now and how have you addressed them? So maybe some of the work in progress. Um, uh, Penny, let's start with you. Yeah. Um, well, the, the, the work in progress is, is against that sense of renewal. Um, one thing that I will add to that, that sense of renewal about this opportunity is um, that the value that we want to deliver to more clients, we have 7 million clients today, we have an addressable market of 40 million families in North America. The value that we want to deliver to those families means that we've got to have the best talent and we've got to have people who are, um, who are attuned to needs and experiences that may be different than their own needs and experiences as they guide clients and as we make decisions about where we want to invest to create value for those clients. And so the, the challenge, the opportunity is a growth mindset. It's that, that sense of leadership responsibility that says, as a leader, it is not my job to know all the answers. It is to be not a know-it-all, but to be a learn-it-all and to have the capacity um, to seek to understand what it is that our clients most need and frankly, seek to understand what they're going to need proactively so we can get there first. And so the challenge is value creation. Um, and the opportunity is working with a much more diverse cohort of talented folks at Edward Jones in order to, to create that value. I think the secondary challenge then is to help people understand, as I said earlier, what this industry is all about. It's, it's not about math. It's not about numbers. Um, I, I'm gonna use a really ugly word. It's not about greed. 
it's not about the things that have been associated with the finance or investment world for, for years and maybe inappropriately associated. Um, it is about, it is a purpose-driven industry that really connects with the desire of professionals and individuals to have a professional pursuit that really matches their own values uh, and helps them, helps them achieve in their own lives um, things that are not only, not just successful, but, but significant as well. And so telling the story and being a firm that represents that story uh, is another opportunity that we have. Thank you, Penny. Um, Suzanne, how about you? What's work in progress for, for your firm? Well, you know, I'm not sure it's a work in progress. I think what I've learned in my career, you know, I faced um, three major disruptions um, in my 30 plus years. First, it was Black Monday, only two months after starting on Wall Street. Um, then it was the financial crisis of 2008. And by then I was the head of then Siebert Branford Shank. And then the pandemic um, as CEO of a newly merged company. Um, so each time, you know, there was significant market dislocation for a period of time that created challenges for my firm, you know, concern about the well being of our employees, you know, would we make it? Um, and a need to pivot to ensure we would fare well despite these challenges. And I would say um, with the first one, I was fortunate to have been at a boutique firm um, that was able to take advantage of the inefficiencies in the markets to benefit our clients. So we actually did pretty well. With the financial crisis, um, as many of the larger firms that had mortgage exposure were grappling with that and we didn't, we took the risk of investing and growing our firm and doubled the size of the firm and hit the top 10 for the first time as a muni bond underwriter and were the first minority or woman owned firm to do so. Um, and I think with the pandemic, um, you know, we decided to amplify our connectivity with clients as the market was, you know, you know very unsettled. Um, shut down in certain sectors. Um, we initiated biweekly town halls. We had experts from the American Federation of Teachers to talk to our clients and employees about whether their kids could still go to school. You know, we had bond attorneys, we had economists. And I think that connectivity served us really well. Um, 2020 ended up remarkably being one of our best years ever. Um, we saw corporate bond issuance at record levels. We saw heightened sensitivity about hiring minority and women-owned firms. I've got to tell you, for many years, it wasn't so popular to be a minority or woman-owned firm. I mean, we actually took it out of many proposals when we were pitching for business and just put in our capabilities because it was almost uh, used against us. And so it was refreshing that companies were then seeking us out um, and hiring us um, at a much more rapid pace than in the past. So I would say, um, you know, my lesson is that out of crisis can come opportunity. If you are well positioned and it's important to have be positioned, have that cushion um, so that you can take advantage of those opportunities when they come. 
Thank you, Suzanne. You know, uh, I'm enjoying talking or listening to, to everything, and I think we could go on for a while, but we need to wrap up soon. So I'm going to have a, a last question and just a, a chance for closing remarks. Um, really think, thinking about where are you hoping to be and by when, what is the change required to get there? So thinking about what's next, what are the goals? And, you know, Penny, I'll start with you because I understand Edward Jones has recently announced some new diverse representation goals. Tell us about where you're headed and any kind of closing comments you want to give give our, um, the, the folks at CIFLA and in our industry. Yeah, um, happy to. Um, th this goes in, in that, that realm of, of renewal. Um, not new, but renewal. Um, we're, we're, uh, our, our vision is to be a place of belonging for incredibly talented, purpose-driven people to serve our clients. And um, I said earlier that that constant refrain of we're not where we where we should be or want to be. Um, so we we have we took that challenge on, and we have made a, a a public statement about where we would like to be by 2025 in terms of representation. And it has to do with what Suzanne mentioned earlier, and it's those pipelines. It's those pipelines of talent and and getting incredibly talented people into our organization and through those pipelines. So for our home office leader of associate and leader of leader by 2025, we wanna be at gender parity and 20% people of color. For our home office general partners, our senior most leaders in the organization by 2025, we wanna be 40% women and 15% people of color. And for our financial advisors, by 2025, 30% women and 15% people of color. So, um, you know, the, the, the scary part, I'll just be perfectly open about putting those numbers out there is, what if we don't quite meet them? How is that gonna feel? Well, it's not gonna feel great. <laughs> But it doesn't feel particularly great right now to be saying over and over again, we're not where we want to be. And so these, these kinds of commitments, these kinds of vision statements help us think differently. It helps us grow our mindset uh, about the actions that we want to take. Our intention has always been there. Um, the actions that we want to take, we want to take differential action for differential result. And that's the reason for making that kind of commitment. Thank you, Penny. Suzanne, how about you closing remarks? Uh, where, where, where are you and the firm headed? Well, I, I hope we're headed for more growth. Um, you know, I think in terms of diversity and inclusion, we're probably where we want to be. Um, I'd like to see us improve our numbers on women. Um, a bit, um, and I think we can easily do that given some recent hires that we haven't yet announced. But, um, you know, I hope that we look to be a model firm on Wall Street in terms of diversity and inclusion that others will think, okay, if they did it and they're successful, then we can do it too. And we're partnering with some of our clients, in fact, on internship programs. We are talking to some very big players about, we will hire the students. We know how to do this. We know how to find diverse talent and they'll work for us a part of this summer and you a part of the summer or they'll work for us one summer and come to you the next summer. We want to do whatever we can within our power to help our clients get to their goals. And so um, I appreciate opportunities like this to speak 
Um, our door and you know phone is always open to chat about these issues and hope that you know we get to the goals that you know Penny and other companies are making, which are bold, brave goals that will change society in a significant way. Great. Thank you so much to both of you. I really enjoyed our time together and learned so much and, and really appreciate your passion and commitment and the specific examples that you've shared from your respective firms. Uh, and, um, and I think that our members will really enjoy this. Uh, so thank you for being a part, uh, everyone, uh, of CIFMA's Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Leadership Summit. We appreciate your continued support. Mm -hmm.